Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about democratic backsliding, which, as you can kind of infer from the name, is just the gradual decline of democracy in a state. Um, We are going to be using a kind of real-time example of Hungary um, after we kind of give our definition, just because it is something that's happening today. And it's something specifically relevant to the European Union itself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of countries that are kind of edging away from democracy, um... And there, there's this whole like kind of issue in itself within the EU because once you're in, you can't really do anything about it. Right. And we'll talk about that at the very yeah. end. <laughs> um, but I guess we should start out with a more formal definition of democratic backsliding. Yeah. So democratic backsliding is, I mean, quite literally, the gradual decline of quality in democracy. And if left unchecked, it can lead to the state becoming an autocracy, an authoritarian regime, uh, it's led by, or I guess its decline is led by the weakening of political institutions such as the democratic system, the peaceful democratic or peaceful transition of power, fear of fair elections, uh, social and economic inequality, great power politics. This is all great. Those kinds of things. <laughs> very <laughs> very examples. good. Um, I think we also need to set forth kind of what democratic values are. Yeah. So I think fundamental to what we consider democratic values today are um, a free election Mm -hmm. and minority protections. I would also argue that the free flow of information. Yes. So like, uh, what what do we call it? Non-state media? Yes. Well, like it can be state. It just needs to be non-biased and partisan. Mm -hmm. Free. Free media. Free Free media. media. That's what we'll call it. Um, And so specifically in... Hungary, for example, we see sort of the decline in these areas mm-hmm. over time. So I got, once again, we have our cheat sheets um, because it's a complex topic and we kind of need it. When it comes to um, rule of law, there's also basic human rights that need to be included in that category. And mm-hmm. that's something that where you can kind of start to see violations mm-hmm. um, and it can be concerning for the slippage of a democracy. And then... I think essentially from that, we've kind of established what it is to be democratic. And now what does this process of backsliding look like? So, I mean, it can definitely vary state by state, but it could be the rise in populism. It could be conflict and fear from governments. Um, Personalism, which is kind of a form of populism. And then, like we, I mentioned kind of earlier social inequality economic inequality um and by inequality i mean drastic inequality from the elites and the i guess lower classes middle classes yes um let's start with an example of hungary Mm -hmm. so hungary joined the european union in 2004 and um from then it actually had this huge um bounce of sort of liberal liberalism so it had a bunch of reform human rights advocacy but then it all kind of started to slip away again Mm -hmm. uh and then from this kind of authoritarian values started to 
become portrayed specifically with the election of Viktor Orban. Mm-hmm. Um, which Viktor Orban is a very difficult personality in general. But as of today, what he is essentially doing is it started with the purchasing of media institutions. So as we said, we kind of lose those free and fair elections. Uh, from there, it went to constitutional changes. I think recently he was just reelected. Um, and so now there's also questions as to how true the election results are. And also, does he have a term limit? That's another thing we have to talk about is the not outright dictatorship, but the, I guess, slide towards that. If So usually it starts with you have a technical term limit. Mm-hmm. And then that technical term limit kind of falls away. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the case with Orban, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. Um, and then specifically in Orban's case, you can see it in the courts mm-hmm. happening. So it starts to limit the control of the judicial branch. So in America, we have our checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And so essentially you're starting to limit one of these checks. And by limit, do you mean is it like take over? Not take over, but call into question the efficacy or, like, undermine some of the basic rules, start to appoint your friends and, like, gotcha. stuff like that. And so then, I mean, that also exacerbates inequality because then you're assigning economic um, prosperity to your elite. Right? right. And that's what we can also see with Orban. Like, essentially, all the government contracts go to some of his friends or, mm-hmm. like... If you're not connected with Orban or you don't believe in the Fidesz government, like... You're out. (laughs) Exactly. And then we also see specifically a wave in democratic backsliding coming from anti-immigrant sentiment. Yeah. So we talked about this earlier, or I guess earlier before the episode, but the 2017 migrant crisis was fuel to the, I guess, democratic backsliding fire. Especially, I mean, that puts into question or brings up the question of populism, authoritarianism, nationalism in particular, um, and to what degree nationalism is positive, if that makes sense. So in my opinion, so as those immigrants come in, is it like, I want you to experience my country, I want you to experience our culture, or this is my country, this is my culture, get out. Yes. That's where... I I think usually they call... um the difference between nationalism and patriotism. Gotcha. That's what they argue. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so when people have that nationalist sentiment, they start to argue, well, I don't really want other people in my country, so I'm willing to give up some of my liberties to keep people out. Ah, yeah. If that makes sense. So essentially people, it's like the government wants to take these rights, the people are willing to kind of give them up. And so... It's a eventual cycle, and you see this over governmental processes. You see these degradation of human rights, civil mm-hmm. liberties, uh, the media institutions, economic prosperity, um, and all these other factors that eventually lead to a slow and steady like shift away from democracy, mm-hmm. what we call democratic backsliding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the importance in the EU's sort of perspective. Right. So Hungary is currently an EU state, as we've mentioned before, but with the country demonstrating aspects of democratic backsliding, it puts into question, can they still be in the EU? And we've 
we had Brexit, which is the voluntary leave of the EU, but I don't think we've ever had someone be kicked out. We have not. Of the EU, which, I mean, Hungary is, it, from what I've learned in my classes, is kind of teetering on that line of what does the EU do? Do they try to kind of reconcile what's going on and help it? Or do they say, you know what, it's gone too far, goodbye? I don't believe that a country could ever be kicked out of the EU. Okay, so it would be more of what can we do to fix it? Yes and no, because the bureaucracy that the EU has set up, as we've discussed time and time before, it makes it very difficult to get a unanimous vote to throw somebody out. And it's all it's a unanimous except for that country's representatives, of course. Mm -hmm. But as we learned when we did our original uh, EU Parliament episode, is that in the Parliament they don't sit by country; they sit by party. Right. And so, essentially, if there's a party member from Hungary in one of these parties, they're going to convince the rest of their party not to, you know, kick them out out of the EU. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see for. Um, I forget their, their political party name, but that that's what we see with the representatives in Hungary. They, they are the same repre- representatives in the party for with Poland. And so essentially, if there was ever a referendum for Hungary to be kicked out of the EU, um, Poland would reject that and the national it wouldn't allies, work. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, then we see other countries that are kind of teetering on democratic backsliding, like Poland, Slovenia, um, and some other Central Eastern European countries, but also, I mean, just in general, there's a overall shift in political um, rhetoric and extremism throughout the entirety of Europe. Would you say that the migrant crisis was the cause of that big shift, or it's just been something that's building for a very long time? I think the migrant crisis is the excuse for this big shift. Ooh. You know, like, I feel like these are already trends that were happening. Mm-hmm. It just needs some kind of exogenous shock for them to justify it, if gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what they were when I first started learning about democratic backsliding, um, they talked about the condi- conditionality of COVID aid mm-hmm. because that's that's the time we were living in, and they were like, "Can we make COVID aid conditional on democratic principles?" Mm-hmm. And there was this big argument in the EU at the time, and that's always how I think of it. So what instruments can the EU actually use to limit the democratic backsliding of certain countries Mm -hmm. or reinforce the democratic ideals that are set forth in the ascension process to the EU? Do you think it would take economic, not sanctions per se, not going that far, but some sort of economic incentive or, I guess, punishment? Mm. I don't necessarily believe so. I don't think it is necessarily a problem that the EU itself can fix. Okay. I think that it's more international institutions that can sort of um, take effect here beyond the EU, as the EU has very little, like, controlling mechanisms. Um, And that's kind of a depressing reality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I feel that... There need to be modern solutions to modern problems, and those aren't present yet. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And so when it comes to, like, monitoring of elections or, like, um, maybe, like, the what we see in, in Russia sometimes when it comes to, like, elections over Putin is, like, election fraud and, like, mm-hmm. these international institutions, like, 
stating like here's evidence for election fraud right maybe something like that or like introduction of economic competition into the hungarian market like i don't know if cnn decided to open up an office <laughs> mm-hmm. in hungary and like become another news network of course orban can do everything in his power to try to stop that but i think that like some of those economic institutions that are pro-democratic ideals kind of outweigh if they have enough economic leverage you know yeah but then it's also like a lot of german auto manufacturing they now have plants in hungary and so if they were all like we don't stand for what this democratic backsliding or this government is doing right we're going to remove our plants from the you country. know the country and, and that has huge economic reper- repercussions specifically on orban himself and like mm-hmm. his elites around him and so i think that something like that would probably be a more modern solution okay no i completely agree i hadn't thought about that but that's <laughs> that's a really good answer um and i guess my last question to kind of wrap this up um and i'll i can I guess i can speak on it is do you think that hungary's ability to not get away but not have any direct punishment for the democratic backslide and could that convince other countries or i guess make way for other countries to do the same and i you go ahead no i think it could um especially i think it has i guess for the other countries (laughs) that have done it recently like you said uh slovenia yeah and then poland possibly on its way i also see that happening like slowly but surely and at that point i don't know what the eu may do you're answering or you're asking really good questions that (laughs) i think we as undergrad students just don't have the answers to yet that's um, valid. But I feel like it's a really good example of these massive issues that we can only begin to understand that actively combat like what we learn about in history. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the EU should be something shiny and like great and like, oh, this is what like a multinational institution looks like where there's massive problems with multinational institutions. Yeah. And this is a huge example of the like where you can't enforce mm-hmm. certain aspects of it. Yeah, awesome. And I mean, I guess that's hopefully something that we can figure out in grad school after we take <laughs> We have great upper-level classes we can take. Um, and with that, you guys, we hope you join us next week on the European Soapbox. The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry.
All music is produced by Till Eringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.